Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello everyone, a warm welcome to you on what is our preview podcast for the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, the first race at the circuit for seven years. I'm beyond excited, I hope you are too, uh, and I hope you enjoy the next 45 minutes or so of chat. Samuel Sage and Harry Eid with me. Are you excited as me, guys? I am blue, dabber, dee, dabber, die for the Eiffel 65 Grand Prix. Bring it on! I hope it snows, I hope it rains, I hope there is frost on the track. I hope we get to see Hamilton racing Bottas on a, on a snowboard going down towards the uh, the Schumacher S's. Honestly, this track could throw up absolutely anything. And the fact we're doing it in mid-October in the north of Germany is just... I mean, it, that track's always in the north of Germany, just for context for everyone that doesn't understand. <laughs> but it's going to be cold and it's going to be crazy. And I am so pumped. Yeah, the, it's now... From now until sort of Bahrain outer loop, I'm really excited for the next batch of races because yeah we had Mugello which was new um but then we kind of knew about that for a while but this is uh we've got the Nürburgring which we've been to before and it's good then we've got Portimao then we've got Imola and then we've got Turkey as well so yeah this is the start of what I hope is going to be a a banterous period for uh, 2020. It could be the best four race period we have ever had in F1, if it actually meets expectation. Yeah, in before it's all crap. Hamilton wins all four by 30 seconds with Bottas behind him. Great. Well, now you've cursed that and we're going to get four consecutive dry races <laughs> with uh, with 99% chance of rain two minutes before the race not to materialise. Although I have, heard, I have heard it is raining 10 minutes away from the Hungara ring. So <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's on its way. Outside of our preview, of course, bold predictions will be included in that. We'll be discussing the big news that Honda will be leaving F1 at the end of 2021. Uh, we'll react to that surprising news and what could be next for the team. F1 are pressing ahead with plans to host the Brazilian Grand Prix in Rio rather than the Interlagos circuit. So we'll be reacting to the prospect there. But first of all, the Eiffel Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas, fresh off of his second win of the season. Sam, which Bottas do you think we'll be getting this weekend? I think we'll be getting porridge cake, Bottas. Which one's that? (laughs) That's the really good one. That's like 10 out of 10 Bottas. He's literally made himself a cake of porridge. And he's going to eat it, I hope, outside Lewis Hamilton's front door, um, steaming up. I think that this suits Bottas perfectly. Bottas is a, a man from Scandinavia. He enjoys the cold. He embraces the ice wings. You know, winter is coming and he's the White Walker leading the way. Um, please don't watch the final season. Um, I think this is going to be great for Bottas. Bottas has grown up. It's like almost like when it rains. You know, it's almost seemed to suit the British drivers, right? We, we all grew up in the soaking wet conditions of, of England and it was horrible and Hamilton's always the one in the wet. 
But when it comes to snow and ice and, you know, possibly temp- track temperatures less than 10 degrees, we don't come across that a lot. And there aren't many people equipped to deal with that. Kimi Raikkonen, Valtteri Bottas, pretty much the only two people that may have regularly raced in such conditions in their junior career around their home areas. I think Bottas is going to turn up. I think Bottas is going to absolutely rinse it. That might not ring true in my bold one, two, three, but I'm very positive that he's going to have a very good Grand Prix. What do you reckon, Harry? Do you think there's a chance that Bottas goes on to win another one? I, I hope so. Um, yeah, I, he need, he'd need that win last time in Russia, and maybe that's something he needed that to unlock the next level of uh, of, of performance for this year. Um, but I'm not entirely hopeful uh, because we've seen this before. We've seen Bottas have a have a win. We think, yes, this is it. He's going to go on a charge, and then he and he doesn't, and then Hamilton wins another one. I'm hoping actually that it's so chaotic a race that neither Mercedes win, and it's you know George Russell taking the win from Nicholas Latifi. Um, but yeah, look, Bottas. We know Bottas has been there for you know just behind on the wrong side of Hamilton for a lot of races this season. Um, I think we could see it again this race, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I'm not saying he's unlucky. It's just the, the way it seems to go. Hamilton can always find that um, extra, extra bit of performance when it counts. If it was done off FP1, free practice one, then Bottas would have won the championship because he loves FP1. Uh, but unfortunately, it's not done like that. But yeah, who knows? If it's a low grip, cold, you know, weekend, then I'm not going to rule him out. Absolutely not. Do you think no one has told Bottas that there is actually a P in the middle of the F and the 1 and he actually thinks that's the race? <laughs> the F1. man demolishes it every single week, doesn't he? He's there like, here we go, Friday morning, whoa, race day. And then everyone's there, Hamilton's eating a croissant, vegan, of course. Max is singing Super Max with all his fans, I imagine. Lando's still streaming with Bottas. He's taking the championship home. Well, congrats, congrats, Valtteri. Um, unfortunately, points usually are collected on Sundays. At least how that—that's how I think it works. Um, <laughs> the issue, I guess, really, is that with Valtteri Bottas, we have to even ask the question in the first place. When Hamilton takes victories, there's never really any need to ask: Will we see the same Lewis Hamilton the following week? Because it's just an assumption that most of the time he is going to be as on form as he was the week before. And we've spoken before about how consistency is the major problem for Bottas and why he's not quite there with Lewis Hamilton. We've discussed at length how we don't think it is necessarily a pure pace issue. Bottas can be there on pace and very often is, as seen by some of his qualifying performances. But it's that consistency week after week in races that he just isn't there with Hamilton In terms of claiming a win for the second race in a row, I'll go to his record after his previous wins. That is uh, retire, eight, second, second, third, retire and second. You'll notice that there are no back-to-back wins in there whatsoever. He's never done it. Every single time he's won a race, he has not won the next race. So there's no real reason to believe that that pattern is going to be broken. Uh, it does help that he has got such a good card that he is put in a, uh, a one in two or a one in three chance of winning most races. But I still have more confidence in Hamilton bouncing back than I do Bottas capitalising on momentum. It's just 
a case of what we've seen so far. And, uh, you know, we make comparisons to Rosberg, that's Bottas to Rosberg quite a bit, uh, and how Rosberg was able to take the fight to Hamilton in a way that Bottas hasn't yet been able to do so. Some would argue he'll never be able to do so. And one of those reasons is that Rosberg was able to go on those kinds of runs and he was able to gain some momentum and claim two or three wins uh, in a row. If you think at the end of 2015, at the beginning of 2016, the year that he won the championship, he went on an excellent run. Uh, and that was the catalyst for the championship that came along at the end of that season. So Bottas, that's what Bottas needs to do. He needs to start claiming two or three wins in a row just to put pressure on Hamilton. I don't have a lot of confidence because I've never seen it happen. I mean, I've just realised while you were doing that wonderful speech there, Ben, and I agree with all the points you've made, that um, Nürburgring has an incredibly long run down into turn one and it's a fantastic breaking zone for overtaking. So that means Bottas will absolutely ruin his start. Hamilton will get a flyer and will be three seconds in the lead by the end of the lap one because Bottas can't get a good start at any track where it matters to get a good start. It just doesn't seem to happen for him. So, therefore, the trend will follow, and Bottas will be 17th with only one wheel by the time that they are halfway down the start-finish grade. To be fair, he got a good start in Mugello, but they, they shafted him by making him do two more. Uh, <laughs> best of three, innit? <laughs> so, I mean, that, that kind of nicely leads on to the next question about the Nürburgring, and that is that, that first corner... We have seen plenty of crashes there in previous years, of course, going back a number of years, but there have been crashes there. It's a new circuit, so braking zones could be a bit all over the place going into turn one. Harry, do you think there's at least the prospect of a bit of a pileup? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, turn one is tricky at the best of times, and these cars are much wider than they were back in 2013. I saw... um, Today on Twitter, the Red Bull have brought some like laser equipment to to scan the track because obviously it's been a long time since they were last there. I mean, they've obviously still got data, but um, yeah, this is again, it's all it's all new for these for these teams. And as they all hurtle down to turn one, not many of that field, well, none of that field would have driven these Gen F one cars into turn one on lap one, and not many of them would have driven F one cars at all on this track. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely got the potential for 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 some carnage. And again, as we've already mentioned, especially if it's only five degrees or something like that, getting heat in the tires uh, off the line and obviously braking as turn one, heating the brakes as well is going to be pretty difficult, I would imagine. So um, yeah, either, again, we'll say this, and then they'll all literally make it through turn one now, absolutely <laughs> fine. But of um, I'm hoping for carnage. Yeah, as is always the way, but we can at least uh, we can at least make these predictions. Sam, what do you think? Do you think the uh, the lack of knowledge about the circuit could lead to? No, I'll extend it just past turn one as well. Do you think, just generally speaking, we could be prone to some more errors from drivers? Oh, one hundred percent. This track is a real drivers track in the sense that if you make a mistake. On most corners, there's either a gravel trap or a barrier pretty close to the edge of the track. Um, you know, when you're going wheel to wheel, chances are you're going to make a mistake. The fact that, as Harry just said, Red Bull are bringing laser scanning equipment to scan the track to make sure they know what they're doing. Please, by the way, sell that to Code Mask because they really need a laser scan track. Um, then I think that we could see some absolutely craziness. But we all know that my middle name is Sam Hopes for Carnage Sage at every single race. And it's going to happen. The Nürburgring delivers. Go back and watch 2007, please, if you'd like to see what Carnage looks like at the Nürburgring. 
It is crazy. We have had all sorts of weather here in, in the past. And that the bottom of the hill on turn one, which is a downhill braking zone, is almost like a collective for water. It just sits there. It pulls there. It's so hard to slow the car down. If we do get a wet race, if we have a wet qualifying, which I think it's forecasted to be, we're going to see a lot of cars struggling, coming off the track, making mistakes. And I think the real skilled drivers are going to show what they're made of. I'm hoping for pure car action. I think we're definitely going to get it. I'm so excited. For, I mean, I love the Nürburgring and it's just, yeah, it's that sense of, of punishment if you get it wrong. And it's going to be a very similar sense uh, case to Mugello, where if you do run a bit wide, you are going to be met by grass, barrier or, or gravel. Uh, you know, take notes, circuit of the runoff, like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> love to see it. Um I think it could be really interesting in terms of the gaps between not only the teams, but also the teammates. I think a big determining factor in in how well these guys will will, will go is, first of all, uh, those who were able to get used to the track quickly, there is going to be that adjustment period. Some that will be straight away. Uh, some might take a few sessions to to properly get to grips with the track. Potentially, some won't won't be able to do it at all. So I think that could lead to some big gaps up and down the field. And the other thing is, if it is as cold as it as it could possibly be in that in that region of the world at that time, um, who can warm up those tires? You know, Mercedes might be might be looking forward to this because there's literally no chance of of any of these sorts of high temperatures that uh, they've struggled in before. But you know, which teams can which teams can for that qualifying lap get those tires in the best possible position? Because if you don't do it, that could lead to some really big gaps in qualifying. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens there. Uh, Harry, what do you think the, the keys to, to doing well this weekend will be? Do you think there'll be an advantage for those who have raced before? Just don't crash, I would say. Um, oh, good tip that, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you'll have some advantage if you, you know, you're, you're Hamilton, Raikkonen, Vettel, uh, who else raced there, Grosjean. Um, but... Like I said, I think it will be so different again to what they've experienced in the past with the 2013 cars. Um, and it was also, you know, the height of summer, not October. So I don't know how much of an advantage, if any advantage at all, that, you know, a driver will have. Maybe teams, some specific teams will have, you know, um, extra data. But uh, again, as I said, Red Bull were the ones laser scanning, laser scanning the uh, track today. So. It doesn't suggest they're that constant either. So, um, yeah, I love it. It's a a pretty level playing field, and I, I'm absolutely here for it. This is what I this is what I want more often in an F1 season. Um, more of this, please. Basically, more Nurburgring. <laughs> more Nurburgring is always better. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Do you think the gaps between teammates and teams could be could be a bit larger than what we've been used to seeing this season? I think no, for the most part. I think there are two drivers that have a real distinct advantage here, and they are the two previous race winners that are left in the current grid. Lewis Hamilton in 11, one, and Vetteling, I think, 13, the last time we had it, has also won here the last time uh, last time out. So I know the cars are different, but they can clearly drive this track. They know the track. They've done well in this track. I know both Vetteling and Hamilton have won in the junior formulas multiple times as well around here. I do think that they are going to have that advantage. Um, Hamilton has a real knack of adapting to tracks quickly as well. He holds that record for a reason. He picks these things up well. But 
for the rest of the teams, you know, Norris or Sainz, I don't think it really matters. Uh, Russell or Latifi, again, I don't think it really matters. And I think if you go through most of the teams, it's going to be who could pick up and adjust quickly and get the car working in these cold and difficult conditions. The disappointing thing for Red Bull, of course, is that the chances of Mercedes overheating, pretty much nothing. So they're going to have to go toe-to-toe with Mercedes around the track that no one has too much experience around. I think Max could be a bit of a, a little devil around here. I think he could do he could do really well. So I'm excited to see what happens. The straight line speed in the first and final sector is really, really integral. And Mercedes do still have that over the Honda engine of Red Bull. So um, I, think, I think Mercedes will have it. But I'm, I'm still hoping that uh, Max takes it. I hope Albon turns up. I hope Albon turns up. I hope he doesn't get a terrible start and has to overtake everyone and make himself look better than he actually is. I hope he can just be there. So there, that is my conclusion. Albon, please do a good job. Thank you. Public service announcement from Sam there. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure who exactly will have the advantage. I, something you said, Sam, about how Hamilton, you know, he has this record for wins at different circuits. And of course he did win at the new circuit of Mugello this season. Um, it, of course, Nürburgring isn't brand new, but you know, seven years since anyone's driven there but over half the grid haven't done any Formula One races there whatsoever. What will be interesting is if Valtteri Bottas, who was got up to speed at Mugello quicker than Hamilton did, it'll be interesting to see if Bottas does have that advantage throughout the first few sessions and whether he can maintain that throughout the race weekend because it was looking good for a long time at Mugello for Bottas. If it will follow a similar pattern, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Let's get on to some bold predictions, shall we? Um, Harry... What have you got this week? My bold prediction is that we are going to travel back in time to 2007. Uh, I don't mean literally. Uh, But there will be a shower very early on in the race and someone at the back... Go on, Marcus! Not not Marcus (laughs) Winkelhock. Someone at the back will make a legal and not an illegal change of tyres, like Haas did at Hungary. Uh, A legal change of tyres and there'll be carnage in the first lap or so. And that said back marker, not saying who that will be, will end up leading. That is bold. Yeah, you've really gone to town on that. Oh, yeah. So basically, Marcus Winkelhock is going to lead at some point yeah good stuff yeah yeah sam (laughs) i'll be surprised if you can match this sam but i've i've been less surprised by things you've done (laughs) i don't think i can match it marcus winkelhock then isn't that your german alter ego isn't that your racing alias uh it is actually i like to keep that on the download but yes Sorry to our listeners of the podcast. It's about time that Ben's fame arrives. Um, Mine is going here as detailed, almost in depth. I think we're going to have three safety car appearances, and I'm going to leave it at that. Oh, you're just going to get that right, aren't you? I mean, I often get them right compared to you, yes. (laughs) Because I've only had one right ever. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Well, based on what your one is this week, Harry, I'm not certain that's going to change much. But... You never know. Uh, mine is is way bolder than yours, actually, Harry. Mine is ridiculously bold. Mercedes is... to win. Well, I'm not going that bold. Good God. <laughs> um, Roman Grosjean, sorry, oh. Roman Bollard is going to score <laughs> a point. No way. Forget will not rise that high. I mean, really, it's not that bold. I mean, he's got a podium there before. 
I was going to say, I think it was uh, WTF1. Don't listen to their podcast, listen to ours. Um, WTF1 (laughs) (laughs) posted today that if we get the same podium we had in uh, 2013, uh, Vettel, Raikkonen, Grosjean, then we've had a cracking race. So let's hope that happens. I'm all for that podium. Vettel taking the wing in the German Grand Prix in that Ferrari after this season, I'm 100% for it. Uh, just to give WTF1 even more publicity, they did follow that up by saying that, that those three guys uh, were all running Renault engines at that time, and they're now all in Ferrari engines. So <laughs> there's that. Um, but yeah. The one, the one good thing about this bit and all the publicity we've just given our orange counterparts is that you've got to be listening to this podcast to hear about the advertisement. So thank you for getting 20 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> In conclusion, listen to theirs and listen to ours. More F1 fo- podcast, the better. That's the conclusion here. Anyway. Listen to ours more. <laughs> <laughs> Poll one, two, three. Sam, what you got? Uh, Poll Lewis Hamilton, wing Lewis Hamilton, second Max Verstappen, third Bottas. Yeah, sorry to suck all the joy out of the room. Oh, okay. <sighs> there it all goes. There it yeah. all goes. <laughs> Like a balloon, you know, when you let all the air out. <laughs> Harry, anything more exciting than that? Because I'm presuming Winklehock's winning yours. Uh, I didn't say he was going to win. <laughs> I just said he's going to leave. <laughs> um, I'm going to give Paul to, to Walter, Porridge Cake, Bottas, 37.0. Yes. Uh, Paul to Bottas. The win is going to go to Max Verstappen. Yes! Hamilton will be second. And Marcus, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who should I be in third? Ericsson. I said Checo last time, so come on, Checo. I believe in you, son. One of these times, he is going to get a podium when we predict it. Or more likely, he'll get one on the week that none of us do. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Uh, I'm going to be really exciting. Uh, and I'm going to go for literally exactly the same as Sam. Say Hamilton pole, Hamilton win, Verstappen second, Bottas third. But I do enjoy how, even though all three of us do enjoy being right, we enjoy even more being wrong if it means we get a more exciting race. The one time that Hamilton, Bottas and Verstappen are on the podium, I mean, we've already had it once this season, it was fantastic. If we can have it in a legitimate race, it doesn't have a red flag that mixes up the strategy, I will I will run round Croydon naked with Panks on. Oh, that is a bold claim. You're going to run around naked with clothes on. Well, just a, a small <laughs> pair of pants. <laughs> right, we, need, well. we need to um, we need to go back and listen to what we predicted for Monza, and then just do that every race because clearly that is the answer. Tumblr speeding it, king of craziness. Basically, I just need to predict that Danny Kvyat in an Alpha Tauri is going to have a massive shock result of being in the top five, and then his teammate's going to go and win. So, oh, why haven't you done it again? Good point. Good point. <laughs> Sick of it. They're set in stone now. We can't go back. We can't go back. <laughs> on to Honda. So, this news broke on Friday because, of course, it did two weeks, two days after our last recording. Uh, it's just custom at this point. But uh, 
it was announced that they will be leaving F1 as a power unit supplier at the end of 2021. Honda returned to F1 in 2015, solely providing power units to McLaren before they split up after a tough relationship. And Toro Rosso took over in 2018. Red Bull were impressed enough that they have been supplying Red Bull for the last two years, but they are now looking forced to look elsewhere from 2022 onwards. So, uh, Harry, what did you make of the news? Uh, I well, shocked was was number one. This was kind of out of the blue. I know Red Bull apparently knew about it for a month or so. Um, then then sad. I'll take you through my emotions here, guys. All right, yeah. I was shocked. Then I was sad. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sad for just F1 uh, as a whole. You know, the only manuf- engine manufacturer to come in during this hybrid era is already, you know, sodding off again uh, very quickly. So that's, I'm sad about that. And, you know, we want more engine manufacturers, not less, obviously. Um, then I was just a bit, you know, disappointed slash annoyed at Honda because they've almost got a you know, track record of this. And yes, they've been successful. And yes, they've got lots of other things to you know commit to. They committed to IndyCar not long after they said bye to F1 last week. Um, so I guess that's part of the decision. Um, and it's a cheaper you know, playing field for them to, to win, win trophies in IndyCar. So I, I get that. But um, yeah, Honda have got a bit of a track record of, of leaving. And they need to stop being so flaky. Quite frankly, uh, I don't get it. They did it. They did it in the nineties, and then they did it again. I, okay, two thousand eight. I'll give them that. A lot of companies had to pull out of F one because they had no money. But yeah, uh, 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 it's it's sad, and I, I, I'm not really annoyed at them. I just d- disappointed in Honda. But then there is another question that comes up. You know, there's a problem with F one because. We should, you know, the sport should be able to keep Honda in it for longer than a few years, um, and it's obviously too expensive for them to carry on. So, yeah, there you go. A range of emotions, the full spectrum you got from me there, apart from happy, which I'm obviously <laughs> not. Fair enough. And yeah, to that point, I mean, it's not as if we're going from eight power unit suppliers down to seven. We, you know, we're literally on three now. Um, Sam, what did you make of the news? Um. Pretty, I was pretty flabbergasted. I was when that came round. I think um, Ben, did you text us or Harry? One of you texted us yeah. in, our, in our group chat. I thought you were having a laugh. I thought you were pulling my leg, um, and obviously you weren't. I still think you might have been pulling my leg, but it appears you've either conned the rest of the <laughs> racing world, which is just fantastic, or I need to start having some faith in what you say. Um, I'm, I'm so gutted. I'm so gutted. It is a really, really dire time for Formula One if one of the most successful car companies in the world doesn't want to be in this sport anymore. If they don't want to be in this sport, then who does? You know, we've heard rumours that Mercedes are unhinging about it. We've heard you know, that Renault aren't happy. You know, they're changing to Alpine, so maybe they're not doing as well as they would like to. Ferrari are only in it because Ferrari and F1 need each other, like me, Ben and Harry need each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am also angry at Formula One. Why is it so difficult to entice something new? Something? Why does Formula One always have to take something that seems to be working and growing and go, oh, but money. And it just doesn't work anymore. We'll get onto that. So I'll use that same moment when we talk about the next topic about Brazil. Um, 
I'm really, really gutted. The only, only bit of positive hope that I have in all of this, is of that negative hope that a lot of you have, is that Red Bull go out there and they find a different supplier. I don't know if that's going to be like a GM or if that's going to be like a Ford or a Chevy or a Fiat Chrysler, uh, a Toyota, BMW. You know, there's so many fantastic manufacturers out there. Do something. Do something to get them on board, please. I really think it could be quite exciting if you somehow work something out. I don't see it happening. And, and the cost of the entry and the development and everything is so difficult. So unless someone was already thinking of joining anyway, chances are it's not going to happen. But the fact we've only got three manufacturers again is really, really tough. And if Renault don't pull it together, if they don't start winning or getting what they need out of it, there's every chance that Renault could go. And what happens if we drop down a team manufacturers? We're having an absolute nightmare here. So I'm, I'm a bit worried for the sport. I'm annoyed at Formula One for not doing something about it. And yeah, Honda, get some moisturizer, stop being flaky, and get your act together, because I'm pretty gutted at you as well. Yeah, so I was I was initially shocked as well, and I, I, I kind of had a bit of time to digest it, and then thought, actually, no, this, this does make sense based on Honda's previous uh, previous exits of the sport. They've done it a number of times since they first joined back in the mid-60s, so uh, maybe it's not all that surprising. Uh, you know, the, the last time they left did coincide with that uh, major global financial crisis, so very similar incidents going on in the world right now. I know that their their road car sales have been hit quite substantially over the last 12 months. So so it does make sense in that respect. But it's disappointing nonetheless, because especially considering the progress that they've made, if you think back to 2015 and, and the couple of years after that, they were, they were a laughing stock. And at that opportunity, they had two decisions. They, they could either run away and pretend it didn't happen or they could stick it out and try and repair that reputation and that's what they've been able to do so it's a bit of a disappointment that now it has gone well and now they are a viable partner for teams on the grid now is the time that they go and i mean from from their perspective because they are one or they they were and are one of a kind in the sense that they are the only power unit supplier uh, of course, you know, Renault, Ferrari and Mercedes are supplying power units, but they have their own interest as a team in the sport. Honda doesn't get any of the financial incentive of being involved in F1 in the same way that Mercedes, Renault and Ferrari do. So from Honda's perspective, it is purely reputational advantage as to why they're in the, in the sport in the first place. So it is a real shame that the second that the reputation has been restored, and it is going well, and they are claiming wins with Red Bull, is the time that they duck out. And I know that they've they've based this decision on um, their electric future or how they see their future being electric. And, you know, they, they have a realisation that they want to be carbon neutral by 2050. And that's that's all well and good. But as you brought up, Harry, they reconfirmed their commitment to IndyCar the next day like it, it doesn't make any sense indycar it, it was the announcement from indycar that they will have hybrid components to their engines in 2023 you know a stage where f1 is already at so it just doesn't make any sense at all what's really happening here i think is that honda thanks to this crisis don't have the money but they don't want to admit they don't have the money. They want to save face. So they're, they're going ahead with this with this idea that it's all about, 
all about electrification. Bear in mind that F1 has a commitment to be carbon neutral by 2030, 20 years before Honda have their deadline set. So I don't think this is an issue in terms of the future of F1 and where it's going. Uh, it's not as if they're you know knocking on the doors elsewhere of other series. They've recommitted to IndyCar. I think this is a this is a money consideration and nothing else. But overall, a massive shame. Can we talk about what implications it might have in the world of F1 that aren't related to engines? What do you mean? Well, I think that this is You're going to... Him, I, I have. It doesn't happen often, folks, but once again, <laughs> my incredibly stupid brain has stumped the master. Um, <laughs> I think this will unsettle Max Verstappen. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, That's what I wanted to talk about. I think yeah. that this is going to be the catalyst feature that will cause Max Verstappen to debate where he wants to go. And I think he's got something written into his clause, a clause in his contract, where if he isn't given a, a competitive, successful car, that he is allowed to walk away scot-free. I mean, I remember Horner talking about it on Drive to Survive at one point. I think that clause was carried on. Um, so I'd be interested to know what the people listening think. And of course, you guys, what you think might happen with the, the Max Verstappen factor. The Max factor, if you will. Oh, nice. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you think, Harry? Oh, <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me. Um, I, I, I think Christian Horner is pretty confident that Max will stay, uh, but he's got to—he's definitely got to be worried about worried about where Red Bull go from here. Um, and I'm sure Red Bull have already started thinking of conting- contingency plans uh, for you know having an engine in 2022. Um, but yeah, I mean, if they lose Max, that'll be a real, that's a real kicker for them then. I mean, where, you know, they've got Albon, who will they put up? Gasly, I guess. But that's a, you know, that's a fairly inexperienced team they've got there then. Uh, one race win. So, yeah, it's worrying times for Red Bull. My initial thought, actually, when I heard the news was whether we would like, then just lose Red Bull and AlphaTauri. Are we going to end up losing two teams? Will Dietrich Mateschitz think this is not worth my money anymore? We can't even get an engine. I we, we can't even get a, a customer, an engine of our own and pull the plug entirely. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's rocky, rocky ground for Red Bull at the moment, I think. Yeah, I think F1 are quite fortunate in the sense that Red Bull and AlphaTauri are officially signed up to F1 until the end of 2025. Um, and the next round of um, round of power unit changes, I think, are scheduled for 2026. So theoretically, if they were to see it out until 2025, they might as well have a plan in place to to get going again in 2026. But of course, we are talking a long way in the future at this point. Um, in the short term, I think realistically, it could well be a return to Renault. Uh, it would be good if F1 could promote. You know, if F1 could get another another supplier into the sport to replace Honda and, and maybe even more than one. You know, Stefano Domenicali, his um his links to the VW group could well come in handy. You know, maybe there's something there that can happen. But realistically, like using Honda as a prime example, they were they were late to the party when it comes to these these hybrid power units. 
and they really paid the price for a number of years. It's only been the last two years that Honda have properly caught up. It took them, I would say, four years to get on a level playing field with the others that had the advantage over them. So theoretically, any power unit that was coming in now, I think I just don't think it it would work at all. I think it'd be a non-starter. So I think in the short term, Red Bull are going to have to have to go back to Renault. And fortunately for them, if they do want to go back to Renault, Renault can't really do anything about it. Um, you know, Renault can put things in the contract about them not publicly shaming them as often as they used to, or something along those lines. But there is a you know there is a regulation in place where Renault have to supply power units to a team if that team doesn't have any other option because they are supplying the least number of teams on the grid. You know that that is a rule that's that's put in place. So Red Bull have that advantage. So maybe they do go Renault for the short term before looking elsewhere. I think perhaps the most likely long-term solution is that they buy is that they essentially get the license for for the engines that Honda have created and then subcontracted out to a to another you know maybe it is uh Cosworth or, or some someone along those lines they can use them as subcontractors and continue the work that Honda have done uh, and just essentially you know purchase either either purchase the uh the ip or they just or there's something in return i was, i read maybe that they would have something to do with their their moto gp scheme or something along those lines but um yeah it's tough to know what red bull are going to do uh and exactly how they go about this is likely gonna is going to be a big determining factor on their competitiveness for the next probably the next five to ten years is there any chance that Red Bull could possibly, as you just said there, buy the IP of the Honda engine, obviously rebrand it, and start making their own? It depends if they'd have the the internal capacity to do so. It, it might be, be very interesting. Yeah. Mugen Honda. Mugen Honda. Mugen Honda's not going to happen, I'm sorry. I mean, Plus. realistically, where we are in F1 now, of course, Red Bull were the last team with Renault to win as a customer team. I wouldn't be surprised if they're the last. I, I really wouldn't because it just doesn't seem to fit. They had an awful relationship with Renault where they were a pure customer. It didn't work. They go to Honda. They have a better relationship with them, but they are at the mercy of another company. And another company can do something like this on very short notice and leave a team like Red Bull with no op- no options you know that's not going to happen to a mercedes or a ferrari yeah so there you go red bull make your own engines and you'll be all right essentially yes that's the conclusion get on it <laughs> Okay, we'll move on to our final topic of the day, which I know Sam you're already uh you're already fired up for this one, so uh, I won't do much of an introduction, but yeah, Interlagos and F1 has been a bit of a rocky relationship in the last few years. F1 are trying to get a race done in Rio, but the track that is not built currently would involve a lot of deforestation in the area. So Sam, uh, we love Interlagos. We, I am speaking for all of us here, don't like deforestation. So I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on this. Well, you've spoken for me incorrectly because I love deforestation and uh, I can't wait to see many habitats destroyed and animals become extinct. Um, Obviously, that's a lie. Please, no one clip that and share that to my employers. Um, Done. (laughs) I knew it would be you, Harry. 
Um, Interlagos is one of the best Grand Prix we have. Week in, week out, race. No, what? What am I on about? Season in, season out. I wish it was every week. Because Interlagos, nine times out of ten, throws up one of the best Grand Prix we have all year, every year. It is so, so good, that Grand Prix. The weather works. The track layout is great. It suits the cars regardless of what happens. We've seen some incredible moments. Oh, every single time it throws up something special. And what did I say earlier? Hmm, money. Formula One just like to go, we want more of that. That green stuff over there. Yeah, Rio, you can have some more money. We can make that easier because we're going to have secret investors that realistically we can charge three times the amount and it's going to be secure and easy because it's going to come to a slightly deprived area. No, you can't do that. And you can't sit there and proclaim that you're going to be carbon neutral and you're going to be better for the planet and you're going to be more open-minded and more reasonable. And you keep turning up to places that have got poor human rights issues. And now you're turning up to places that have got poor environmental issues. The rainforest is burning. It is burning and we are losing it. And it is crucial to the survival of us as people. Even if you don't like racing, this is a thing to get behind because it is crucial to keep this place in one piece. And the fact that Chase Carey has gone over there with a little match and he's gone, oops, slipped there, just burnt down half the rainforest. Guess I've built a, ra- a racetrack there now. Whee! That's not okay. It is not all right. We don't need another racetrack, regardless, really. There are enough around the planet that could be updated or changed to fit Formula One's needs if needed. We don't need to build a whole new one that looks a bit like Bahrain anyway in the middle of a rainforest, which is going to cause absolute horror for the people for the, the, the nature there, for the planet. It's going to benefit a few wealthy, rich men who can put some money in their pockets and walk away without any guilt. For some reason, they don't seem to understand these issues. I don't get it. I don't understand the motivation behind it other than money. Why would you replace one of the most consistent, loved, most enjoyable tracks that we have on the calendar for a completely unproven point in a place which is just going to destroy nature? It's a very, very silly, closed-minded, awful judgment call from the Formula One ownership team, Liberty Media. If they go down this route, I'm going to be absolutely devastated because it's, it's just more bad blood on the sport. So Sam, firmly in the four category on this one. Harry, what do you reckon? Uh, look, this year, 2020, if, you, if you're not listening in the year that we actually recorded this, um, <laughs> His has shown, if a Formula One, that we don't have to go to all brand new tracks. There are lots of great racetracks out there that are, you know, ready, willing, and are good that we can go and race around. Mugello, we're going to the Nürburgring this weekend. We're going to Imola again. Turkey, um, that's okay, bad example. But, um, <laughs> the point stands. <laughs> there are already lots of great tracks. We don't need new ones, especially at the expense of a, you know, of a massive rainforest. I, I don't, well, like Sam says, it's obviously down to money, but the logic, you know, you, after this year, I was, I'm kind of, I was kind of hopeful that maybe we don't need to go to these new tracks where no one turns up to watch in normal times. The crap, the crap, the, <laughs> the track is crap or the crap is track. Um, and we hate it. Looking at you, Sochi. Um, yeah, it's bizarre, bizarre decision. And to top it off, we all love Interlagos, and we always have a cracking race there. W- was no one watching last year? That was bonkers. Was no one watching 2008? Was no one watching 2012? 
it's just um yeah, this seems to happen a lot. It happened under Bernie as well, where they threatened to leave Interlagos. I hope it's worked out and they don't have to, you know, chop down an entire rainforest for what will inevitably be a track that is not even close to Interlagos. So yeah, we love Interlagos. Please don't stop. Please keep going there. I mean, even if Interlagos was my least favourite circuit on the calendar and the the plans for this new circuit were looking absolutely incredible, I would still massively disagree with this. The fact is, that's not the case on both fronts. Interlagos is my favourite circuit on the calendar and the track doesn't look like it would be all that amazing. Um, and But that's not really even the point. Like, you've got a very, very brilliant circuit in the country already. You don't need to go and knock down trees to to get a new circuit. There are hundreds upon hundreds of circuits around the world, you know, that that can be used. There's there's no need to to knock down the forest to get a new one here in Brazil. It's really poor. And this this goes back, you know, slightly related to the discussion we were having about Honda in you know the attract uh, the attractiveness of F1 overall for sponsors for power unit suppliers for for any really big brands that would consider coming into F1 it's not a great look when you are going into countries and knocking down trees for the sake of a circuit when they've already got a really good one we've been going to for the best part of 50 years like come on it's really not a good look don't agree with it whatsoever yeah, I haven't really got anything else to say on it, really. Oh, bloody Chase. Get on this podcast, mate. I challenge you. Can I have a chat with us? I'm sorry. Chase Carey versus Sam Sage. CC versus SS is the fight <laughs> we all want to see. I'll fight him in the rain. I'll fight him in the rainforest as well. It'll be the rumble in the jungle that you've all wanted to see. Hopefully the fight is not a moustache off, though, because I think he'd win. Give me a couple of years. All right. Well, we'll be back in a few years when Sam has grown that moustache. It will be a long wait until the next podcast then, obviously. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We'll be back on Sunday for a review of the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. As we've already said, we are absolutely pumped for this Grand Prix. So do pay attention for when that podcast is out. Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here. Yeah, let us know what you guys thought of the podcast. Come chat to us at El Breaking. Of course, we'll be back straight after the Eiffel, Nürburgring, German, European, whatever it is, Grand Prix, which is happening. Whatever game it's got. Um, Then come back on Sunday. We'll be here again with the preview, the review that we're doing the preview now. And then if you do know any hair transplant specialists that can help you out with the moustache, then get in touch. It'd be very helpful indeed. Uh, In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Perry McCarthy. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network.